Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fourth Sunday of Easter, April 25th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the New Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, can be found starting on page 1696 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The church loves to fight. Now, this should be shocking to exactly no one with even a rudimentary knowledge of church history. It seems like we get into fights about everything. You can, on the one hand, look at all of the anecdotal evidence of churches splitting over trying to decide what color carpet to lay in the sanctuary and things like that. You have the entire history of splitting into further and further denominations, and even the arguments of the last handful of decades. It seems like the argument du jour in the church has been what we call now the worship wars, where it's all about style. Should the church keep the traditional sights and sounds of the past centuries during our times of worship, or should the church adopt new music? new practices, and new liturgies to reflect our changing and modern times. Somehow, in the midst of this, though, it never was about the style of worship. It was always about content. But if the church isn't fighting about ideas, the church is fighting about people. It has become chic again in the last decade or so to blame Martin Luther for all the problems in the church right now. 
If Luther hadn't come round about 500 years ago, we'd all still be united in one church, right? In the last five years, I've seen not only Roman Catholics, but also Protestants make this lament. It's all Luther's fault. But then again, being divisive about individuals is nothing new. Let's not forget that one of the primary reasons for writing the Corinthian epistles by Paul is because the Corinthian church was struggling with hero worship. Some were saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And then you had those who were just saying, I follow Jesus. And yet again, in many instances, it's not always about a leader. It's not always about an individual or about a personality. It's about content. And so this morning, as we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together, we find his own disciples in a similar position, in the middle of conflict, in the midst of division, under the scrutinizing and angry eye of the religious elite. And once again, we see that if we peel back all the distractions, it's about content. The content of one name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. As we look at that name, we first see in Acts chapter 4 that Jesus is a name that offends. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The leaders of the Jews, after a miracle in which a lame and crippled man was caused to walk again, their response was to be annoyed. Think about that. A, a miracle that not one single person could deny how amazing it was. And these leaders were annoyed. Now, as much as I, as a noted curmudgeon, enjoy that word, a word study of this leads us a little bit deeper into the actual spirit of what was going on here. The dictionary definition of the term we translate here, annoyed, is to be irked, to be provoked, or to become angry. And that's really what gets at the heart of what's going on here as the apostles are on trial. To the religious elite, to the settled establishment teachers, Jesus is a threat. But then if we pause, he's not just a threat to them. He's not just a threat to the Jews of Peter and John's day. He's a threat to all of us. He's a threat to our comfort. He's a threat to our sense of pride. He's a threat, really, to our autonomy and our sovereignty. All you have to do is go back to the Gospel of John and see the Pharisee and Sadducee response to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and you start to get a sense of what I'm getting after here. After Lazarus is, called, Lazarus is called forth from the tomb after being dead for a number of days, and the religious leaders hear about what has happened, 
This, again, is their response. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Jesus, in his resurrection, once and for all demonstrates that he is God. And if he is God, it removes any shadow of a possibility that we might be God. And if there's anything more annoying to our sinful pride, it's the thought that we're not in control. It's the reality that we're not at the top of the spiritual food chain. And so Jesus needs to be removed from the picture. He needs to be gotten rid of. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. They got rid of him. They executed him. They put him in a tomb. But the big problem for the Jews is that he came back. And now, for 2,000 years of church history, every sinful human has been trying to get rid of Jesus. Some will claim that he never existed, that even God doesn't exist, and they sweep him out of the way. Some try to get rid of Jesus simply by making him an example, someone that we can follow and emulate to the end that when we come before God, God sees that we did just as good of a job as Jesus. We tried to get his person and his activity out of the way. The problem for us in the same way as it was a problem for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that Jesus is coming back. Just as Jesus returned as Lord in his resurrection, Jesus returns for us at the end of time. And no matter what we confess, no matter what we believe, no matter what we might deceive ourselves into thinking as sinners, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The resurrection cinches this. It guarantees this. Jesus, to our sinful nature, is a name that offends. Jesus also is a name that convicts. And when they had set Peter and John in their midst... They inquired, by what power, by what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone which is rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The other problem with Jesus that gives us a commonality with the Jews of his day is that Jesus' resurrection reminds us of our guilt. The whole problem with Jesus' resurrection is that it follows Jesus' crucifixion. And just as the Jews, together with the Romans, physically put Jesus on the cross to suffer and die... It was your sin and my sin 
that sent Jesus to the cross to suffer and die. But if Jesus was crucified for our sins, it means that you and I are sinners. And there is perhaps no more offense, more, no more of an offensive reality to 21st century ears than to hear about our own sin and our own failure. Don't believe me? I don't think I'm ever going to recommend this to you again. So pay attention. Don't believe what I'm saying. This afternoon, log on to social media and take note of two things. Take note of how often everyone on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram presents the most polished, perfect version of themselves. Take note of how good we desire to be. And then, on the other hand, take note of how vehemently everyone on social media is ready to point out and to crucify, pun intended, someone who commits a sin that is unacceptable in the public eye. Take note of all of the wrangling and all of the accusing and all of the proverbial throwing under the bus. You see, we have all conditioned ourselves, even as we sit here in church, to embrace our own inner goodness and potentiality. Disney theology infects every one of us. The message of Scripture, and especially the message of Christ on the cross, is that we're not good. We sin daily. And more than just the occasional mishap or the unintentional screw-up, the real reality that Scripture paints for us is that we're all bent towards sin. In our sinful natures, we would rather sin than not sin. Without the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, even as Christians, we would rot in our selfishness and in our self-centeredness. Consider how the church responds to this news. I could right now give you a list of pastors who are personal friends of mine, and we can all together gather quite a body of evidence of people who over the years have politely or not so politely, subtly or not so subtly, asked us to stop talking about Jesus. Pastor, the gospel is great and all that, but I really want you to give me something to do. If you could just give me something to work on, I could really grow and be effective as a Christian. In fact, Esther and I, during seminary, were at an AFLC-sponsored event in which the speaker was lauding the statement of faith from a megachurch that was pastored by a well-known celebrity pastor. And on that page-long document, as I started reading through it, I started making circles. A circle here, and a circle there, and everywhere. And it added up to, on a one-page document, there were almost 50 first-person personal pronouns. 
The whole statement of faith was I, 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 and me, me, me. There is nothing we want more in our sin to have the confession and exercise of our faith be about me. Not about Christ for me, not about God for me, but about me for Jesus. In our addiction, our spiritual lives need to be about our goodness and our success because the only other option we're given is to have it be about our sin and our shame and our failure. And Jesus on the cross and Jesus emerging from the empty tomb is a reminder of our sin. Hear the words of Peter as he preaches. By the name of Jesus, whom you crucified. Jesus died a sinner's death as a convicted criminal. But he died the death you deserved for the conviction you earned. Which is why the good news in all of this is that Jesus is a name that saves. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. In the midst of our selfishness, and in the midst of our self-centeredness, and in the midst of our pride, and in the midst of our sin, Jesus comes to us, and he saves us. Jesus saves because we so desperately need him to save us. There is absolutely no doubt about our sin and our shame. But Jesus also saves us because he's literally the only person who could save us. We can't save ourselves. We're already corrupted by our own sin. And even if we could, our good behavior always ends up being at the expense of somewhere, someone else. Our standard for good behavior is that we're better than the next guy. It's never that we're as good as God wants us to be. We tried to get into heaven on a curve. Someone else can't save us. In spite of our hero worship, everyone else is in exactly the same boat we are. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so Jesus comes to us because he can save us. Jesus is perfectly sinless, the God-appointed Savior and substitute we all need. And Jesus does save us. His resurrection is the final proof and demonstration by God that he was successful. Jesus died, and he died in your place. But Jesus lives, and that means you live because of him. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Dear saints, do you know what the best part of that Bible verse is? You have that name. It is in your possession. It has been given to you. The name of Jesus Christ was given to you as you were baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
You have received the name of Jesus along with his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins when you receive Holy Communion. And you have received the name of Jesus as you have heard in your ears repeatedly the gospel promise of Jesus for you. Jesus in your place. Jesus has been preached to you continually and constantly. Some might even say that Jesus has been preached to you incessantly. But that's okay. Because in this church, in Christ's church around the world, it's not about a personality. It's not about some petty argument regarding style or taste or personal preference. In Christ's church, it's all about the content. The content of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who loved you and who died for you, who forgives you and who saves you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.